0: Dan, this article just came out that I've just been finding so fascinating. It indicated that 92% of teachers felt comfortable teaching slavery, which seems kind of high, but the more interesting thing was that not that many students actually understood it. It's just, ah. I was not surprised an article
1: in a study came out indicating that, that people struggled to teach on the topic of slavery, and I was really glad the write up, yeah, Melinda Anderson did in the Atlantic, because she really framed the issue well, and it's something we've got to think about as social studies educators.
0: You know, teaching something like this, I often feel a little bit uncomfortable. Not that I would shy away from it, but like, am I doing it right? How can am I be doing it better? Am I making sure that I'm treating people with respect? I always second guess myself when I'm doing this. You know, what about you? often
1: second guess myself when I'm teaching a topic like slavery, because I know how important it is to get it right, to get representation right, to frame it the correct way. It's difficult. I mean, it's similar to when you talk about other atrocities in history. You don't want to do them wrong. You want to do them justice. And you want to give people, you know, make sure people have agency who should have agency within the system. And I would say based on some of the, you know, and hopefully these are the very minority number of cases, but we hear horror stories about people doing simulations around slavery and things like that. And I'm, don't do it. Don't never simulate any human rights, atrocity, or abuse, like, cause you can't simulate something like that. And if you could, you would not want to, why would you try to put your students through that? And so the thing I always say when it regards simulations on issues like that is think about how impossible it is to simulate that and if you do it, how far away from understanding it, you still are.
0: I'm still just absolutely flabbergasted. 92%. <laughs> well, so I,
1: I guess the question is, you know, how do we teach slavery? I think the the things that I did in my class that made me feel the most comfortable, but are difficult because there's a lack of time, is to have the time to read narratives from the time. There's so many... Narratives written from the perspectives of enslaved people, um, whether it's the interesting narrative of the life of Eluda Aquiano, which I actually don't know if I say his name right, (laughs) because I don't know if I've heard him.
0: I love Eluda Aquiano. I think that's one of the most interesting, interesting bits of writing. Um, The Atlantic also did a really neat piece on him. It's in one of their podcasts, too. So you can learn all about the life and times. It's really cool.
1: Yeah, we'll have to get that in the show notes. I know um, I used before the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, which is really short, so it's, it is more usable in school because it doesn't take a long time to read, but it's incredibly powerful to read his story. And I know some of the fellow, my fellow teachers down the hallway used Life of a Slave Girl uh, by Harriet Jacobs. And so those were, I think, oftentimes um, the most meaningful lessons I know I was able to teach because... Uh, we were able to have contextual discussions. The books brought up and framed things in ways that that probably took pressure off me. So I still probably need to improve my understanding in in how I could be better in teaching slavery.
0: This year, I used a chapter from Kenneth C. Davis's uh, In the Shadow of Liberty, where he was talking about Alfred Jackson. We had talked about this in a, in a previous podcast, but my students walked away with a much different understanding. Of what slavery was in Jackson's household, they were just like, "Wow, these are people." It does a really good job of actually bringing names to like this really abstract, terrible concept that you know people should feel uncomfortable discussing. Right? Yeah, humani-
1: humanizing people who who were dehumanized by the system. Um, you hear about that a lot in Holocaust education too. The importance of it's almost incomprehensible. To think of the scale, magnitude, and horror of things like the Holocaust or things like slavery. And so only through individual people's stories can we get a better sense of, of what it was like. But
0: if only there was, I don't know, some sort of like frameworks or maybe like <laughs> standards that we all could use to help teach about you know slavery better.
1: Michael, I have a surprise for you. We have a guest what? today who is here to tell us about a framework for for uh, being better teachers at at teaching about this topic. And so we would love to invite into the podcast Kate Schuster from Teaching Tolerance. Hello. Hey, Kate. Kate, can you tell us a little bit about your background in education and and what uh, you all are doing at Teaching Tolerance?
2: Sure. So uh, I have never been a classroom teacher, although my work in education... And has, has spanned a couple of decades. Um, I have done mostly after-school and enrichment programs. I have a PhD in educational studies. Uh, I'm a researcher by training, um, and I have, through my work at Teaching Tolerance, gravitated towards research in social studies, specifically with an emphasis on looking at the ways that we talk about underrepresented groups of people. And that's a big part of the work that we do at Teaching Tolerance, uh, which is around anti-bias education. As some, many of your audience members may have heard of Teaching Tolerance before, we are the education wing of the Southern Poverty Law Center. There are three parts to the Southern Poverty Law Center. There's the legal division, and they sue people. There's the journalism division, and they research hate groups. And then there's Teaching Tolerance, which is a K-12 facing uh, the K-12 facing arm of the center. And we provide free resources to teachers, uh, including films, lessons. We have an online text library. We publish a magazine. Um, and all of those resources go together to form what we think are a useful support kit for teachers.
1: Oh, it's so useful. The, the work that Teaching Tolerance does and the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center does is so important. And uh, I'll just say I use a lot of resources from it. And I just appreciate much of it is free. And you can request it online. One of my favorite resources I use is the short 50-55-minute minute 50 55 minute film, uh, Starting Small, which is about how to discuss issues of race and difference with young elementary school kids. And the lessons and teachers are so incredible. Uh, I think it's great for our teacher candidates to see what that kind of teaching looks like. So thanks for the resources.
2: You're welcome. Um, in fact, all of our resources are free. It's not just some of them.
1: And before we get too far, I should tell everyone should subscribe to the magazine. It's an incredible magazine uh, that comes out in addition to all the online content you guys do. Uh, it's a great magazine.
2: Well, thank you for your nice words. And I do hope people subscribe.
1: Kate, what can you tell us more just in general uh, for educators about what resources teaching tolerance provides for educators?
2: Sure. The most popular of our resources and the ones that people are most familiar with are probably our film kits. And we have a number of films that are optimized for classroom viewing with uh, teacher's guides that ship free to folks um, that order them off our website. Uh, the We have a newly redesigned website, which has a number of options for subscribers, including a feature that we call the moment, which is on the front page, which has a number of subscribers. And that attempts to keep teachers current with what they're teaching about now and how that relates to current events. And so, for example, um, in response to the shootings in Lakeland, uh, we posted an open letter to teachers uh, after that shooting, and we tend to try to update that with current events as they unfold to keep teachers in the loop. Um, There's also the magazine, as I mentioned. Um, Our website, one of the big features of our website is that we index uh, texts many of which are originals uh many of which we've found permissions for and those texts are paired with discussion questions pull out vocabulary and like ratings
1: i've used the children's march video which is really good it's kind of cut in like an almost like you know mtv style um that that kind of keeps kids attention and stuff which it's important to discuss like the uh the, the way that that film is put together, it's a combination of, of kind of real footage and then, and then actors kind of helping to fill in the gaps, which is actually a really good uh, film media literacy discussion to have with students about it. But it's really powerful in showing how uh, kids made such a difference. And at this time right now, when uh, kids are seemingly leading the discussion on gun reform, it was, I found that as a really interesting historical example To think uh, the difference you can make, you don't have to be 18 and be able to vote to make changes in your society.
2: Yeah, it offers a lot of important lessons, I think, today. And I think it's a great movie for a variety of grade levels, uh, for a variety of topics. So hopefully teachers will use this opportunity to infuse it in their classrooms.
0: So, Kate, I I started off talking about that. I apparently am in the 8% of people who don't feel comfortable talking about slavery. And I just want to preface this, that I, that I do talk about slavery. But 92% of people said they feel comfortable talking about slavery. What's going on there? Are they doing it well? Or are they? What's going on with that
2: 92%? Well i spent a lot of time with those survey results because i wrote the report that that atlantic article was based on um and when i sat with those survey results i too was surprised by how high that number was it seems to me that the teachers that we surveyed many of whom many were doing a good job of teaching slavery based on what they reported but many didn't seem to me to be doing a particularly good job. It's more that they thought that they were doing a good job. So, for example, we see a lot of teachers who say that what they like to teach about when they teach about slavery are historical figures like Harriet Tubman uh, or the abolitionist movement. So, in other words, they're picking out what we might think of as the good parts uh, of the story and emphasizing those rather than really sitting on the difficult and complicated parts. And so, uh, I'm not... I'm not convinced that our sample, as it were, the 1,700 or so teachers that answered our survey, I'm not convinced that they were doing an exceptional job, but it is encouraging that teachers don't feel like they need to shy away from the subject in their classrooms. I mean, that's part of what we were worried about was would teachers say, no, I don't cover this because it makes me feel bad. I mean, the teaching workforce is overwhelmingly white. Um, It's one of the most homogenous workforces in the United States. And... We're really talking about teachers who in some situations are teaching in um, majority minority classrooms uh, where they may be in fact, the only white person in the classroom. And we heard from a number of teachers who said it made them uncomfortable to talk about slavery and issues of race in those contexts because they were the white person and they weren't sure how to talk about it. They also said they felt uncomfortable maybe singling out the students of color in their class and making them feel uncomfortable. So I think below that 92% number is a general current of unease um, that we saw in a lot of the more nuanced responses. So I would be careful of taking that 92% number too seriously. I think my sense of the survey respondents is that they know that slavery is a really complicated question and they were trying to take it seriously and, and struggling, frankly.
1: It kind of makes me think about the importance of, of culturally responsive teaching, um, because one component of culturally responsive teaching is really understanding your students, their lives, their backgrounds, their experiences. And if you are an, a white teacher and, in, in, for example, a lot of your students uh, are African-American, there's a good chance that they have had exposure, discussion or talks in their families about slavery. Um, it just tends to get talked about less in white households. And and so opening up your classroom to knowing what your students know about the topic um, can sometimes actually be provide, uh, you know, they may know uh, more than you on some aspects of that topic. And so I think it's really important. And then you can also understand what they do know and don't know. Um, and, and that can can lead into discussions about uh, about difficult topics.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to note that we did not ask the teachers if they were comfortable talking about race in their classroom. Uh, And I think if we had asked that question, we would have gotten a very different answer. Because one of the things that we at teaching tolerance know is that teachers in general tell us that they are uncomfortable having conversations about race. Now the majority white teaching workforce is uncomfortable with that. And so the situation you're describing where students of color are talking about race all the time at home versus a white teacher who may not have had to have difficult conversations about race creates the potential for not conflict in the classroom, necessarily but unsurfaced assumptions that may make learning difficult and so we we definitely want to try to ease that transition for teachers and give them tools
0: so teaching tolerance have put out a framework for uh teaching american slavery do you mind talking to us a little bit about the framework um maybe what work went into it and what it looks like sure
2: in 2011, we released a report called Teaching the Movement, the State of American Civil Rights Education, in which we assigned letter grades to states based on how well their content standards require teaching about the civil rights movement. And we failed like two-thirds of the states. And we got a lot of pushback from state superintendents of education about that, because nobody likes to get a failing grade. And one of the lessons we learned from issuing that report, which we issued again in 2014, with slightly better results, was That we needed to, at the same time that we issued an admonition, uh, we needed to offer corrective measures. And so for this report that we issued in February, we have both this report which says, frankly, we're not doing a good job of teaching about American slavery. But at the same time, we issued a suite of resources to try to change the conversation and steer teachers in a positive direction. So in this case, we're trying to have both the wrist slap and the corrective measure, as it were. The framework is the centerpiece, really, of our efforts. It was designed by two historians uh, who also happen to be teacher educators, uh, Bethany J at Salem State University and Cynthia Lyerly at Boston College. They are the editors of a book that we drew a lot of inspiration for, for this project. The book is called Understanding and Teaching American Slavery. And that came out in 2016. I recommend it to all of your listeners. It's a wonderful resource that combines new history with practical teaching tips. Um, And we contacted the editors of that book and asked them if they'd be interested in helping us develop this framework. So what the framework is, it's a set of 21 summary objectives that represent in our minds, what every graduating high school senior should know about slavery by the time they leave high school. And the summary objectives, uh, if you click on them on our website, you'll see that they break out into categories that are, what else should my students know? And those are numbered. uh, And then how can I teach this? And there are resources that are appended in the how can I teach this section so that teachers can, for example, go to, programs that are archived online, essays that are archived online, um, nonfiction fiction texts that either live on our website or external websites. And so the idea is that any teacher should be able to find themselves in the framework so they could say, for example, I am teaching early colonial history right now. What, how can I integrate education about slavery into my instructional program? They find the relevant standard because the summary objectives are organized chronologically from pre-colonial times through the end of the Civil War. And they can find where they are in the American history sequence, expand the summary objective, and come out with measurable outcomes that are knowledge-based that students can get. One thing about the framework that we recognize is that it is secondary facing. So I mentioned earlier that we view these as some, you know, summative objectives for high school seniors. Um, They really are more focused towards the kind of advanced learning that you would do in a high school or late middle school class. Um, One of our goals for the year that's coming up is to expand the project to create uh, learning outcomes for K to five. So that we'll basically crosswalk the framework. So hopefully, within a year, teachers in elementary school too will be able to look up and say, "Okay, I'm in the K to two grade band, and I want to talk about Colonial America. What should I be teaching about?" And so, because we would very much like to see education
1: about slavery moved into the K to five area. And I work with with elementary so- teachers who will teach social studies lessons, and I think that often is a question about age level and how young is too young? What can they talk about at different ages? What's age appropriate? Have you guys already started to have some conversations around the age appropriate ways to talk about a heavy issue like slavery? We are, but I don't,
2: I I would be remiss if I got too far ahead on that because we're really in the beginning stages of that conversation. And what we've done is we've put together uh, some of our advisory board that are elementary education specialists and also some developmental psychologists because we want to be mindful of you know, this, these questions of when is too young to teach traumatic events around slavery and what kinds of text do we need? You know, this is a real important question for us. When we were working on this project, um, we one of the things that we did was we trolled through archives to create a curated library of more than 100 original historical documents that live now in our text library so that teachers can pull up, for example, Abraham Lincoln's, you know, a selection of Abraham Lincoln's letters, a selection of Frederick Douglass's speeches, maps and graphs and other resources that all snap to the framework summary objectives. Um, Almost all of those resources are secondary leveled. So if you think about 19th century vocabulary levels, I mean, those are not going to lexile for elementary. And so what we are going to do over the next year is commission... A new series of texts, both fiction and nonfiction, that will lexile for K to five, so that we can create some resources for teachers who have really a very limited option right now. As far as if they want to teach about slavery, how do they anchor that discussion in text? They just don't have a lot of good options beyond you know a handful of picture books and some inadequate textbooks. And so we really want to change that conversation.
1: Um, I've just, as you've been explaining this to us, I've been able to just review through the site, and the site is so usable. And and so if you have not um, gone to teachingtolerance.org, or sorry, tolerance.org is the, the website, and and looked at the teaching art history um, curriculum and lessons and text library and podcasts and stuff that's there, it's really easy to use. And I love how you've aligned it for teachers. Uh, it's almost as if you guys were thinking about the ways that teachers are, are asked to teach in schools. I'm kidding. I'm sure well, you were.
2: <laughs> we were. And we, we learned our lesson. And when we launched the Perspectives for Diverse America curriculum in 2014, and that curriculum was aligned to SNAP to the Common Core, uh, and in addition to our anti-bias framework, which is the series of standards that we have for social and emotional learning. Um, and having played in the Common Core sandpit, as it were, a little bit, we really learned how important it is to have those to create breathing room for teachers so that they can say to building leaders, for example, yes, you know, I'm meeting these kinds of standards or these kinds of summary objectives. And so we wanted for this project to create a freestanding framework, but to have everything aligned properly so that it would be user friendly for teachers to pick something out of the pile and then, you know, plug and play it in a classroom.
0: i like that. uh, So one of the things that Dan and I have talked about is that we went through my U.S. history textbook and the first big chapter on slavery, the first thing they mentioned is abolitionism. Um, Right. Which That's very common. Right. Which is insane. Absolutely insane. So I really love the fact that you're uh, focusing on colonial times and before or colonial times and then afterwards. So it's it doesn't just exist in that anti in the, the abolitionist movement. That's not the first time that students should hear about slavery. So I, I love the way you guys have it, friend.
2: I mean, one of the things we learned when we were looking at state standards was that state standards often teach slavery backwards. So, for example, they will require students in second grade as part of a unit on heroes and holidays to learn about Harriet Tubman, and then they don't require talking about slavery until the fifth grade. So it's backwards. And what that does is it encourages a a contextual view of American history, uh, and it teaches a narrative that's really a triumphalist narrative that doesn't really... Dig into the complexities of the country's founding. I mean, to the earlier point, we believe that young children, even in the K to two grade band, are perfectly capable of understanding that slavery existed and it was bad. We don't, you know, young children have a very developed sense of morality and we think that they're capable of understanding it. I mean, are we going to talk about rape with those children? No, pro- probably not. But can we talk to those children about the reality of the country's founding? Yeah, we think so. If appropriately scaffolded, we
1: definitely think so. Well, and, and just as important is not to tell lies about it. Um, I think that yes. that we get that a lot. I was just looking at a, a picture book. Um, we the, it was, I think it's called We the People. It's a picture book. And I got it with the hope that I could use it um, to, you know, just uh, – as a way to talk about when we were creating a class constitution and using it as a comparison. And it kind of goes through the preamble, but it really had this kind of equality focus. And I was like, this person who wrote this does not understand the constitution because the constitution didn't have anything to do with equality until reconstruction amendments. And so it was really disappointing, disappointing that people's stories were just, I mean, it it felt dishonest, uh, historically dishonest. To frame the Constitution in the beginning that way, and we know from you know abolitionists, um, William Lloyd Garrison, for example, you know called the Constitution a pact with the devil because of how it, you know, not only um, did not do anything to end slavery, it in many ways affirmed it. And so, anyway, it's it's difficult to um, oftentimes get into those honest discussions when we're starting with myths or dishonesties about you know the Constitution and its beginning.
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I suspect that there are a number of teachers who teach the Constitution who themselves are not fully aware of the nature of our country's founding documents and the way that they operated as a prop to the institution of slavery. I mean, I think if you asked the average social studies teacher how many of the first U.S. presidents owned slaves, they probably would not answer 12, which is the number. Um, And so it is shocking how entrenched the institution was in the founding of the country, you know, even post-colonial in early America. Um, and I, 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 again, I suspect that a lot of teachers wouldn't be fully aware.
1: Is it only the Adamses who didn't?
2: You know, I think that may be great.
1: I think that's I what I was to, thinking, the, the John Adams and John Quincy. List. Kate, can you tell us some of your favorite resources that you think could really help make powerful and accurate lessons for for teaching about slavery?
2: Yeah, I think that they're, you know, teachers are living in an extraordinary time of plenty when it comes to this topic because of the advent of really amazing online archives where, you know, it's not just that they have to choose between two runaway slave ads, they can choose among 5,000 of them, which I think for many teachers can be crippling. You know, this overflow of original historical documents can really stymie them. if They're like, do I have to look through all of these? Which is part of the reason that we wanted to do the curation for them. But it is, it's a great time, I think, to be a social studies teacher and to want to teach about this era. One of the things that I am a big fan of right now is the explosion of online databases uh, that allow teachers and students to track the business of slavery. Um, John Jay has just digitized uh, what seemed to be a comprehensive collection of records related to slavery in New York State, so it's possible to go through census records, birth and death records, um, property records, etc., and to track individual enslaved people uh, through that. Uh, Emory University has a transatlantic slave database uh, where they track the trade, and uh, students can go through and look at the manifestos of ships and really drill down into the details of the trade in ways that weren't possible before or that archives were located elsewhere and so it's kind of a big data thing but it's interesting that these new databases I think make possible interdisciplinary collaboration in a way that wasn't possible before as far as can you do work with the math teacher can you do work in language arts can you cross over some of these boundaries that sometimes stymie us Uh, to think about new ways that all of this information can be put to use. Um, So I'm really optimistic about the way that primary source documents are increasingly available um, and free and easy to use. Uh, So I think that any teacher who really gets serious about this will find infinite resources at their fingertips. I wish that fiction was keeping up. I think that's a place where we could be doing a better job. Um, We see a lot of nonfiction, but we don't see a lot of good fiction, I think, that's being written in the space, uh, particularly
1: for younger readers. Kate, so I, again, I think that what Teaching Tolerance has done and what you have done is really just an incredible resource center for educators looking to make a difference here. If you were to give advice for educators who are saying, I want to teach slavery, the topic of slavery better, I want to do a good, do a better job in my classroom, what would you tell them?
2: Well, I think I would tell them a couple things. The first thing, I I would do is I would encourage them to teach about slavery with context. So rather than picking out, for example, the Underground Railroad um, or even Frederick Douglass, to really try to give a rich historical and political context. Um, And that context also involves taking seriously the diverse experiences of the enslaved, um, which kind of goes into my second point, which is I think the teachers need to really reckon with the ways that they may be communicating that slavery was an exclusively Southern phenomenon. Uh, A lot of times we, and you see this in textbooks a lot, that when they talk about slavery, they talk about it in terms of king cotton or plantation life. Um, So they really characterize slavery as something that was Southern rather than emphasizing the ways the Northern economy and the Westward expansion depended on the economic engine of slavery. So I think giving that geographical diversity and context is important. I also think that it's important that teachers squarely confront the notion of white supremacy and the way that white supremacy developed to justify the institution of slavery, that that is really important to give students context so they can understand not just history, but current events. You know, I think that there is the ahistoricism that we use to teach about slavery is dangerous, not just because we don't get a good understanding of the country's history, but because students don't leave with a good understanding of what's happening today. I mean, I would argue that you can't really understand Ferguson unless you understand the history of slavery, um, because we have to understand the legacy of oppression of people of color in this country uh, and the lasting effects of that. And so, I think you know, teachers should see themselves as agents of empowerment and really giving students the tools that they need to understand the struggles that they confront today and will confront in the future. And part of that means to have, having hard conversations about race, and those conversations are challenging but very fulfilling. And I think I would encourage teachers to keep the end game in mind when they're embarking on difficult topics in their classroom. These are a couple of tips that I would give to teachers who are really serious about doing a good job on this topic, and I think making those connections will be valuable for them.
1: I really appreciate um, those recommendations, especially I just kind of identified with the diverse experiences of enslaved people. Um, I was in St. Louis uh, visiting my sister who moved there in the last, uh, last year or so, and and I was able to f- visit the courthouse where the Dred Scott case happened, and I also learned about how much uh, Harriet Scott should be part of that story and is often not told as the story because she also filed a separate case and really it should be Harriet and Dred Scott. But you learned about how different their experiences were as enslaved people. Um, but also, I think that it-, it shows the complexities of family life. I think it- their story shows um, the-, the horrors of slavery, and it also shows... Uh, the agency of enslaved people who tried to make a difference and change the system, and so I just remember thinking about how different that was than the cotton plantation slavery, which is is again, like you said, oftentimes the only reference that we get.
2: Yeah, I think I think in general emphasizing the agency and humanity of the enslaved is good practice. That instead, I mean, that's why we refer to them as, for example, enslaved people as opposed to slaves, because slaves denotes you know, or connotes the idea that they, all they were was property. Whereas people in slavery or enslaved people, you know, puts the humanity of the person front front and center and talks about slavery as a condition. I think that the more that we can do to emphasize humanity, the better. And part of that means talking about resistance to slavery as an everyday practice and not simply something that happens when rebellions occur, because armed rebellions were very infrequent. Um, But there was everyday resistance to slavery and the ways in which the enslaved people carved out humanity and culture in the face of overwhelming odds, to me, is inspiring. And hopefully teachers can find that kind of inspiration and communicate it to their students. One part of our project that teachers might overlook when they go to the Frameworks page is the nature and extent of our collaboration with C3 teachers. Um, We partnered with C3 teachers um, and Uh, Kathy Swan, who's one of the architects of the C3 standards, uh, uh, wrote a report that lives on our website, which talks about how teaching slavery can align with the principles of historical inquiry that are embedded in the C3 standards. And I would encourage people who in particular who are building leaders or curriculum specialists to look at that document. Um, In addition to that, uh, teachers who may not be familiar with the C3 process of historical inquiry might be interested to read that and get some ideas for their classroom. We commissioned five original um, inquiry design method, which is the method of inquiry based on historical documents that C3 uses. We commissioned a number of original uh, inquiry design method uh, units for teachers that uh, can be downloaded from our website. And so teachers who are really interested in centering students in primary source documents in their classroom I think we'll find these units of particular interest, and they can, of course, be customized. But they're very um, ready for classroom use, and they're written by actual teachers. And so, uh, I would just inc- point people towards those if they're looking for a deeper experience.
1: And w- Michael, we can't go an episode without mentioning Kathy Swan in episode ten on I the Speed Three Framework.
0: <laughs> we love Kathy so, Swan. We she was on our
2: advisory board for this project, and we really value her input.
0: She's amazing. Thank you, Kate Schuster, for chatting with us today.
2: It's been my pleasure. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: Kate, where can our listeners
1: find find you and your work online?
2: Oh, so I'm at kateschuster.com. There's no C in my last name. Uh, And they can also find me on Twitter. I'm Kate Schuster on Twitter. Uh, And uh, looking forward to connecting with any of your listeners who want to know more about the subject.
1: Absolutely. We will make sure to get all of that in our show notes. And we'll be sure to link to all of the uh, different components of uh you know the tolerance.org and the specifically the framework for uh, teaching american slavery so again thanks just so much for joining us and hopefully we'll continue the discussion online in other
0: spaces
2: it's been my pleasure thanks y'all
0: thank you we are all about sharing the learning at the visions of education podcast if you're doing something fun and creative in an education or you just want to chat tweet us at visions of ed we're also on facebook and if you haven't already, subscribe to Vision of Education on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere you want us to be.
1: And if you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. And Apple Podcasts algorithms require that you get us a five-star review for other people to find this podcast. So if you've been slacking off, go ahead and write that. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kratka,
0: And I'm at 42 Think Deep.
1: Until next time. This is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off. I felt like you thought deeply about saying your own